Growing up, I had two best friends that I played on the offensive line with for our high school football team. And since we played football, for some reason, we had to go out for our track team to stay in shape. They were worried we'd just eat Cheetos and Pizza Ranch every day, so they made us go out for track. And since we were slow as dirt, they didn't let us actually run. Instead, we got to throw shot put and discus. Here's my track picture. Those guns are huge, okay? That, you can, all right, you can take that down now. That's bad. I thought I was so sexy, too. It was all right, though. But our throwing coach, he was pretty laid back, so he'd let us do kind of whatever we want during practice, like we would wrestle each other for fun, and that would be the way we'd get better at throwing shot put somehow. And one day, we were at practice, and we look off in the distance, and we see something we must not have noticed before. Actually, we see two things, two things that would end up being detrimental to me as a human being. I looked, and I saw a huge hill and a trash can right next to it. And so we had the bright idea what would be better than rolling down that huge hill in a trash can? And I volunteered to go first. So I hop in this trash can, which is gross and still had garbage in it, and I start rolling down. And about five seconds into my descent, I feel like I heard from the Lord, this is a bad idea. I started hitting my head against the ground, like every, like you'd flip, boom, boom, and I'd like get cut up, and it was like bleeding, and it was so much pain. I got so scratched up. This hill was probably like 40 feet of straight pain. After I exited the can, I had another realization. I had to go home and tell my parents what happened. I felt so dumb. This was clearly a bad decision, but in the moment it felt so right. I was like, this has to be what I'm supposed to do is roll down a trash can. See, my parents, they were pretty laid back. So they weren't going to be mad at me. However, I prided myself on something. I prided myself on the difference between me and my friends. See, I thought of my friends as let's say, immature or unwise. One could say I thought my friends were the dumb ones and I was the smart one, the smart one who volunteered to go first in the trash can. And see, I didn't want my parents to know what truly happened. I wanted to protect this image of intelligence, so I decided to hide the truth. I told my parents, in fact, it's like, Mom and Dad, I didn't get into this trash can willingly. Actually, my friends, they've been starting to get mean, and they bullied me, and they forced me to ride the can. It was against my will. They picked me up, threw me in, and threw me down. Mom, Dad, I'm not dumb. I'm just a victim. My mom was furious. She immediately goes to her phone. My mom's a ferocious lady, and she gets her phone out, and she's like, I'm like, what are you doing, Mom? She's like, I'm going to call their moms right now. And then I start to get a little stressed. I'm like, Mom, don't embarrass me, Mom. Okay, but like, it's not that big a deal. It's, it's fine. But I failed. She proceeds to call the parents, and eventually it's found out that I got into the trash can on my own. It was my idea. And I felt so stupid. I was caught. I just wanted to ride the can. I was not forced. See, many times, like many times we're like teenage Derek. I think we feel a need to hide who we truly are. We feel like we need to conceal the truth in order to protect some image. And that if people knew who the real me was, or what I've really done, we feel like we'd lose our value. Maybe we'd lose our friendships. And we live in a generation that's been in this constant pursuit of presenting their best selves. We're the first generation to grow up on social media. We are subconsciously told you have to appear like you have it all together. We spend hours crafting the perfect Instagram story or the perfect TikTok as we watched our parents present our families as perfect on Facebook. See, we feel like we couldn't let people know the real us, so then we created superficial relationships. For many of us, our high school relationships were not defined by depth, but rather by staying on the surface. We just do things together, but we wouldn't spend life together in the truest sense of complete openness. 
Tonight we're going to continue and finish up our series, Right to Family. Last week, Pastor Casey, excuse me, implored us that family or community must be there for each other. That we are to be dear to each other. We are to lay down our lives for each other and fight for our friends. She gave us a framework, a biblical, biblical community. And all semester we've been discussing our birthrights, right? And one of our birthrights as a child of God is to be in the family of God. Tonight we're continue by looking at a passage where the author John gives us the basics of living as a follower of Jesus, and he's writing this letter to some early churches. So in, John, or in 1 John 1, 5-10 it says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. I pray that you can just open our hearts to what it looks like to live in your family tonight, God. That you can create a community of vulnerable people. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Amen. John starts this section off by saying that God is light. And in order for us to have fellowship with him, we need to also walk in the light. But many of us choose to walk in darkness. Walking in darkness looks not only like living like a sinful life or not doing the things God wants you to do. It's actually more than that. See, when things are in the darkness, they are hidden. They're unseen. So when we walk in darkness, it means that we are trying to hide things. We're trying to hide our flaws, our mistakes. We're not being our real selves with each other, but instead we put up this image of perfection. That is what walking in darkness looks like. So it begs the question, why? Why do we choose to walk in darkness? And I think to get a good understanding of this, we need to reread verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So I think we often deceive ourselves into thinking this distorted view of reality. See, our culture has bombarded us that this lie is that our worth and our value comes from our performance, or that we have to keep up this image of being good in order to be loved. If we believe in our mind that in order to be loved we have to perform, of course we're not going to admit when we perform poorly or when we screw up. If our value is based on what we do, we're going to do everything to hide our faults and appear like we have it all together. But John here is telling us that if we say we have no sin, we're actually liars. See, the key to not walking in darkness is having a correct view of reality. Reality is that we are all very sinful. We've all made mistakes. We've all screwed up. Reality is that none of us have it all together. But reality is also that God knows every mistake you've ever made. And God knows every mistake you're going to make. Yet God loves you the same. And I think in a very practical sense, this makes sense. Hiding from an all-knowing God, that seems illogical, right? Like if God created everything, he probably knows everything I've done. So hiding from him doesn't make any sense. Yet, we'll be honest with God and we'll tell him because it makes sense he already knows, so why not confess to God? But then we struggle or find it difficult to be 100% real with the people around us. Growing up, my parents had quite a bit of money, and I prided myself on that. I liked being the son of the wealthy people. I liked being able to have nice things and be able to look better than other people. And then when I was in the ninth grade, my dad had to sell his business, and, his, and my parents started to struggle mightily with finances. All of my siblings, they got pretty nice cars when they turned 16. But when I turned 16, my parents didn't have any money, so I got this pretty old, pretty ugly car. 
It was a 1998 Mercury Sable, which I realize is older than 95% of you. That car was, it was something special. And to be honest, it pained me inside. Because for some reason, I felt like I didn't have value because I didn't have a nice car. Looking back, I understand that's ridiculous, but that was my 16-year-old brain. However, I was also one of the first of my friends to get a car. And I didn't care a whole lot what my friends thought of me. So I would drive them around. I'd let them get in the car and see it and see my real honest car, like with trash on the ground. I didn't give a rip what they thought, so we would just drive away. But then, oh goodness, but then, there's this girl. And this girl, I had a crush on her from seventh grade on. I thought she was God's gift to humanity, but I also thought she's way out of my league, so I don't need to worry about that. But then somehow, when I was 16, right after I got this car, she asked me to go on a study date with her. And I was elated. My world was turned upside down until she asked me, and will you drive us? My world came crumbling down. She was going to have to ride in my junker of a car. And to make it even worse, as soon as I left that class and I went home that afternoon, my car started making a huge humming sound. And then also the plastic piece on the passenger side of the car fell. And it was dangling there. It didn't fall all the way. That had been better. It was dangling there, hitting the feet of the passenger people. I was like, come on, Jesus, my world's about to be perfect. And then the car broke. But anyways, then I went on a mission. See, I knew two things. I knew, A, I'm not very sexy, and my car is not very sexy, and the date is pretty close to now. I don't have enough time to fix my physical appearance, but I've got time to fix my car up. So I was like, I'm about to make this thing a beautiful machine. So I go get air fresheners. I try to fix the plastic thing, and I have no mechanical abilities. I probably like duct taped it and prayed over it and hoped for the best. I couldn't fix the humming sound, but then I decided, what's better than a humming sound? The most bumping, romance-induced playlist that she will have ever heard. So I remember sitting in the car wash, like making this playlist, like T. Swift's going to make her, never mind, I'm not going to finish that sentence, I'm just going to keep going. So I go to the car wash, I clean up the inside, plus I decided, I got this idea. I'll just tell her that this is my winter car. I've got a nice car when it gets nice outside. My birthday's in November, so it was around that time. I was like, this car's just for the winter, just to get me through until the weather's nice. My parents didn't want me to wreck it, so they got me this junker. See, I wanted to paint her a better picture of me, paint a better picture of my parents' finances. You remember, I said I didn't care if my friends knew the truth about my car. But to her, I felt this need to mask reality. Why would I do that? Well, it's clear to me looking back that I cared way more what that girl thought of me than I cared of what my friends thought of me. So when we're okay being honest with God about our struggles, but we're not okay being honest with the people around us, what that shows us is that we care more about what the people around us think of us than what God thinks of us. See, we walk in darkness because we care way too much about what others think about us. We all know God is all-knowing and he understands it all, but somehow people around us figuring out our junk is worse than the all-knowing, all-perfect God. It's because we put our value, our worth, in the approval of the people around us. And then we choose to walk in darkness because we don't want them to know the real us. And when we walk in darkness, as we learned, it distances us from God because God is all light and in him there is no darkness. So we're choosing the value and worth of our friends over being close to God. That is a heavy sacrifice to make for our image. And that's not the only thing we sacrifice when we hide who we really are. When we hide our struggles, we hurt our community. See, everyone in our community, whether it's your small group or this community of Chi Alpha, everyone struggles with something. But it's easy to forget this. 
we forget that we all have problems and we feel like we're the only one with our struggle, so we try to act like we have it all together. And then when we get to small group, we hide our issue. And because we're hiding our issues, the people around us think we're all good and we have it all together, right? Because no one's sharing their struggles. So we look around and everyone is acting like they have it all together. Everyone's acting like life is great. So then we think, well, there must be something wrong with me. I better not share what I'm struggling with because no one else has any struggles. So then I hide and I don't tell the truth about what's going on. So then people start to think that I have it all together. So then the next person, they don't see you telling your struggles. No one else is. And they feel like, well, I better hide my struggles because I can't be honest because everyone else has it together. And the cycle goes on and on until the whole small group is superficial. What it is looking for is one person to break that seal and to say, you know what, I'm going to open up and be real. And as soon as that happens, the whole small group will be open. See, hiding our struggles leads everyone to everyone else thinking that they're alone in their situation when reality is we are all sinful. When I was a student at UNI, I led multiple small groups of guys. Without fail, every year, eventually someone in the group would confess that they struggled with pornography. And then every time, all the rest of the guys would be like, ah, it's not just me. They'd breathe a sigh of relief. Like, you too, I'm not the only one. See, up until that person would share their struggle, every guy in the group's walking around thinking that they're alone, that there's something wrong with them, that no one understands them, that they're worse than everyone else, when in reality, everyone was struggling the same. Someone just needed to be the first person to open up. And then we get to see breakthrough. See, the moment that sin is brought to the light is the moment we get to start our all-out attack on that sin. So why should we walk in the light? We walk in the light to receive power over our sin. 1 John 1.7 says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That means... Because Jesus died on a cross for you, you are forgiven in the eyes of God. However, forgiveness does not always lead to freedom. Meaning you can be forgiven of a sin, but not have the power to overcome that sin. And that is where fellowship comes in. We have this saying around Chi Alpha. We confess our sins to God for forgiveness and to community for freedom. When we confess our sins to God, we are forgiven. We are made white as snow because of the blood of Jesus. We are set free from our sin. However, if we want to be truly set free to not continue in that sin, sometimes we need people around us. If you want to overcome your sin, you need to let people into your life. Walking in darkness or being isolated gives sin power in your life because sin grows best in the dark. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is this old dead guy who lived in Germany in the time of the Nazis. He's actually my favorite old dead guy. He led the Christian resistance movement to Nazi Germany. And how did he do this? How did he push back against Hitler? He created a community of future pastors that lived together and spent their whole lives together. And during this time, he writes this book called Life Together, and it's all about community. And in his book, he says this, the more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him and the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. What he's saying here is when we're isolated, sin gets more power, which leads us to isolate ourselves more, which leads to our sin getting more power, and the cycle goes on and on. See, the key to overcoming sin is just to bring it into the light. 
James 5.16 says that, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There's many reasons why we should confess our sins and our struggles and be honest with each other, but three stood out to me. Number one is confession creates opportunity for prayer. This verse is very clear that when we confess our sins to one another, we open up an opportunity to receive prayer. And prayer precedes power, so if you want the power to overcome sin in your life, you just need to ask for it. Praying with others also adds fuel to the fire of your prayer life and fuel to the fire of the power of God. Sometimes we just need people to be interceding or praying with us. Number two, confession creates opportunity for truth. Often when we're in the middle of something, we start to believe lies. See, the devil is very real, and he's going to speak lies to you to get you to sin. Often the reason we sin or choose something other than God is because we believe the lie that that sin or that thing is going to make us happy. So maybe you're in a relationship that we shouldn't be in, and we keep crossing sexual boundaries in this relationship, and we keep giving this person a foothold in our lives. Maybe we're believing this lie that in order for us to be fulfilled, we need this other person. Or maybe we believe a lie that this other person can change if I just hold on a little bit longer. Or we believe this lie that the other person needs me or else they're going to crumble. Maybe we believe the lie that I will only be happy if I'm with that person. Or maybe we believe the lie that we need money to be happy, so we choose to be greedy. Or we believe the lie that life should be easy and anything that's uncomfortable is bad, so we keep choosing the easy road. We quit when things get hard. Or maybe we believe the lie that the key to the good life is autonomy or doing whatever we want. So we live for pleasure instead of living for an impact. See, the devil wants to isolate you, so then he can lie to you, and so then he can have power over your life. John Mark Comer says in his book, Live No Lies, if the devil can get us alone, staring at our screens in the dark when we are most vulnerable to lies, we're quick pickings. The devil wants to get you alone, and he wants to lie to you, because then those lies can run rampant in your brains without being presented to reality. This is why we need to be real with each other. And talk about what we're thinking about. That way when some lie or some piece of unreality is running around in our heads, we can have a friend bring reality crashing into our brains and say, that is not true, that is not from God, that is not true about you, that thing you keep believing about yourself is not from King Jesus. But sometimes we don't understand what's a lie in our head because we're in the situation, right? It's hard because we're in it. So we need a friend to come in and say, that is not of Jesus. But they'll only be able to do that if we tell them what's going on inside our heads. I could go on and on with this. I actually did a whole sermon series on this topic back in January. It's called Lies at Large. It's probably my favorite sermon series I've ever preached. So if you're interested in this topic, you can find that on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website. Number three, confession creates opportunity for accountability. Overcoming our sins on our own is very challenging. Sometimes we just need help because sin is powerful but community can be more powerful. When we tell someone about what we're going through and we invite them to keep us accountable, we are bringing our sins to the light and we get a lot of power over our sins. The most practical way I've seen people overcome sin issues in their life is accountability. So maybe we struggle with lying. We can have a trusted friend who's going to ask us, hey, have you been honest lately? Maybe we struggle with anger. We can have a trusted friend ask us, hey, have you been getting angry lately? An example of this in my life is I've had a lot of guys that I've mentored or led in small group that wanted to overcome sexual sin issues or pornography. So to keep them accountable, when they'd start feeling things and want to do things they shouldn't do, they would just give me a call. And see, nothing gets you out of the mood like talking to me on the phone. 
I'm like, what's up, baby? How's it going? And they're like, I'm good. Eh, hang up. And they're like, they're good. See, this would help them avoid sin because they knew two things. A, they talked to me and they knew I was going to ask them about it later and say, hey, so did that actually happen? And so eventually this sin loses its power because over time as they keep confessing it, it becomes less of a stronghold in their life. And then eventually they don't need to call me anymore. But it took accountability to start this process of limiting the dangerous power of sin in their lives. We confess our sins to God for forgiveness, but to community for freedom. So I encourage you, be open about your struggles. Tell your small group about what's going on in your life. Invite your small group to keep you accountable. Walk in the light. And how do we practically do this? We do this through being vulnerable with each other. See, there's a difference between vulnerability and transparency. Transparency is being honest when you're asked about a struggle. But vulnerability is being forthright about your struggle. Let me explain. If you're transparent, if someone asks you something, you're honest with them. So let's say a leader asks you, hey, did you get angry at anyone this week? Transparency would be answering, yes, I had road rage. Vulnerability is before you're even asked about it, you call up a leader or a friend and you say, hey, people in Cedar Falls do not know how to use roundabouts. And they cut me off and I got really ticked. I gave them the double bird as they drove away. And I was really angry. I'm still a little angry, but I'm confessing this to you now. Please help me not flip off the next person. That's vulnerabilities. We share it without being asked. And that's when we start to see real breakthrough. Walking in the light means being vulnerable, not just transparent. Not just honest, but forthright about what we're going through. Our struggles and issues don't have to be dragged out of us. So do we have to do this as Jesus followers? Do we have to be open with each other? No, you do not. Bonhoeffer says this. Does all this mean that confession to a brother is a divine law? No, confession is not a law. It is an offer. It is an offer of divine help for the sinner. Vulnerability is not a law. It's not a requirement to follow Jesus, but it's a way of receiving help. We've been talking about our rights this year. And maybe you're saying, I have the right to privacy. I have the right to do what I want. And being open, that sounds really uncomfortable. I don't want to share my junk. You're right. You can keep your right to privacy. But then you're also keeping your right to not overcome your sin issues. And you're sacrificing your right to power and help. That only comes through vulnerability. So if you truly want breakthrough, your right to privacy will not be more important to you than your desire to please King Jesus. So I challenge you this week. Share your struggles in small group. I have a small group that meets every Monday morning at 6.30 a.m. Bright and early in the morning, we go around and we share how we sinned the past week. We confess to each other and practically we get to walk in the light. And then what happens when we walk in the light? To answer this question, I want to read verse 7 again. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When we walk in the light, we are cleansed from all sin. I think sometimes if you're a Jesus follower, you know that God's forgiven you of your sins. But sometimes we struggle to feel like we're truly forgiven. See, we know Jesus paid our penalty, but we still feel a weight. We still feel like we aren't good enough. Maybe you feel like you don't deserve grace. See, this is the beauty of confessing your sins to community. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you believe in Jesus and you confess your sin, you are guaranteed, as verse 9 tells us, to be cleansed from your sin. 
And then when we confess our sin to community or the real people around us, we are certain that we're confessed, right? You can't hide it. People heard you say it. Because sometimes you think in your head, well, if I confess to God, is this good? Right? Maybe you're like, maybe it wasn't a real confession, which isn't from Jesus, but you struggle with that. If you say it to other people, there's no lying. It happens, black and white. Plus, when you tell other people things, God can hear it, right? God knows what's on your heart. And then the weight of your sin can be gone. We don't have to doubt that we are forgiven. We can be confident that we are set free and live unchained from the baggage of our past mistakes. And there's nothing like this feeling. As you can probably tell from a couple of my stories tonight, I've always struggled to be real with people. I've always felt this weight to act like I have it all together. I've battled with this idea that my identity and my worth is in my performance. And see, as a Jesus follower, this can be even more difficult. I'm going to be really, really real with you guys about my past tonight, okay? So growing up, a lot of the Christians around me, they seemed to be living this double life. They would get drunk, cuss up a storm, be filled with rage. They wouldn't live like Jesus at all. And then they'd go to church, they'd raise their hands in worship, and they'd act like everything was perfect. As I told you guys a few weeks ago, when I was growing up, I was in a Christian rock band called HOF. And I remember one time playing Christian worship songs in this backyard. While the people were listening, they were all drunk. They were like raising one hand to Jesus. And then the other hand, they had a bush light. They're like, my bush latte and Jesus is all I need. And they're like, worshiping Jesus while also drinking bush light. That made no sense to my brain. As a 15-year-old, I'm like, what is going on? They're like, Jesus. This engraved in my brain that we need to act a certain way when we're at church. But then when we're at home, we can do whatever we want. It engraved in me that I need to put on a mask as a Jesus follower. That I have to act like I have it all together. That I can't be honest about who I really am, what I struggle with. I have to keep up the act so people think I'm the good Christian. Then while I was in high school, I started to struggle with sin issues. I started to struggle with pornography and sexual sin. My older brother would straight out ask me, are you struggling with this? And I would straight lie to his face. And then as I've talked about, my senior year, I got into a romantic relationship where I crossed a ton of sexual boundaries. And again, I hid it all. He would ask me, what are you doing? I said, nothing. We're perfectly holy. Well, I was perfectly lying. <laughs> and then finally, I started dating my wife, Taylor. And we also didn't have great sexual boundaries. And lo and behold, I hid that too. One time my brother caught me in her apartment in PV and said, go home, Darren. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. He had my location on my phone. Don't, never mind. If you're trying to sin, don't do that. And this would eat me up inside. I would be confronted with my sin and lie, not because I wanted to lie or because I didn't want to please Jesus, but the reason I would lie and hide who I was is because I truly believed that my value was in being the good Christian. My only worth was in not sinning. So to admit that I had screwed up was to admit that I was a failure, which was to admit I was worthless. See, I thought I had to put on a show to keep my value. And then Taylor and I got married. And for me, that fixed all of my sexual sin issues. However, I still never told anyone about what happened in the past. And this ate me up inside for years until one day, I couldn't take it anymore. So I barged into my older brother Daniel's office and I told him all the ways I'd sinned. I laid it all on the ground. I poured out my heart. 
My favorite thing is the way he responded. He's like, okay, thanks for telling me that. I'm going to go back to my job now. Just as I kept going, like, that was not quite the emotional response I was going for as I was, like, crying, but it's okay because I felt so free. No longer did I feel this weight of sin. From that moment onward, I committed to being open with my life. See, I had confessed my sins to God. When Taylor and I got married, I said, God, forgive us. But that didn't take away the weight. Until I was open with my community and people around me, that's when I started to feel free. And in that moment, I decided I would never again wear a mask. I decided I would never again not be real with my friends and the people around me. And it has been the most freeing decision I've ever made. I understand that this is a very challenging idea. I would say for my own life, the hardest thing I've had to do is become a vulnerable person. So believe me, I get it. I understand that this is hard. I understand that there's a lie in our heads that tells us we are only loved if we are perfect and we behave correctly. And I believe that we have this lie in our head that we have to keep up a facade. And I know those lies are strong. And for those of you that grew up in the church, I recognize that there's an extra weight there where you've grown up being told you have to be perfect and you've grown up with this weight of being the good church kid. See, I recognize that being real is incredibly difficult. But I also recognize just how exhausting keeping up the act is. See, this temptation to be two people, to be the Christian you and then the sinful you, that temptation is quite strong. However, God is actually not interested in like the Christian you or the sinful you. He just wants you. That's all he wants. In this family, this Chi Alpha family, your small group, your friends in this room, all they want is the real you. Because if we are not real with each other, we cannot truly know each other. And if we don't truly know each other, we cannot grow. See, we're all on this journey of being transformed into the image of God, of becoming like Jesus, But Jesus is not interested in transforming some fake version of you that you present to God and your friends so you feel good about yourself. No, Jesus wants to transform the real you, and he can only get started to work on the real you if you let him get to know the real you. Transforming a fake version of you accomplishes nothing, but transforming the real version of you changes your life forever. See, in order for this family, in order for God to start growing you, In order for you to see this family become your family of God, you have to let people in. We must be authentic. Last week, Pastor Casey told us that we have three pillars in Chi Alpha, three values that we stand on that my life is defined by, and one of them is real community. Not perfect community, not the most fun community, not the hippest community, but we want to be a real community. We want to be real with each other because only when we are honest and authentic will we start to see life change and joy that only a real community can grow. The main idea tonight is that family is real with each other. I want to read verse 7 one more time. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, we are cleansed from the blood of Jesus. Because God is light, and in him there is no darkness. But inside of us, I don't know about you, but inside of me, there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of mistakes, a lot of sins. And those things make it so I shouldn't be able to have fellowship with God. Our darkness should separate us from God because God is all light and there's no darkness in him. So to present darkness to the light would make it not as light anymore, right? So we shouldn't have access to God. 
But God loved us so much that he was not okay with that. So he wanted to give us an opportunity to come with him for life. So he sends his son, King Jesus, to come and shed his blood so that through dying on a cross, our sins are paid for. The blood of Jesus was so pure and powerful that it literally cleansed you from all your sins and defeated them. And now we are made white as snow. That means we get to walk in the light. This doesn't mean you have to clean up first, figure it all out, become perfect, and then you get to walk in the light. No, it means that if we're honest and we don't try to hide who we really are and we commit to trying to not do that sin anymore and to grow, if we do that, God will forgive us for our sins and welcome us into his family. And then we get to spend eternity with King Jesus. So maybe you're here tonight and if you're honest, you've never walked in the light. Jesus is not your Lord. Maybe your whole life has been walking in darkness, doing whatever you wanted, but tonight you want to change that. Tonight you want to receive forgiveness of Jesus. We'll give you an opportunity for that. Or maybe you're here and you've been following Jesus, but if you're honest, you've been walking in darkness. You've been hiding your struggles. You've not been real with the people around you. You felt this need to put on a mask to present your best self. And in this process, maybe sin's gotten some power on your life. And you're tired. If that's you tonight, you want to receive freedom, we have an opportunity for that. We just get to be open to each other. If that is you, God is imploring you to start being vulnerable with people. Share what's going on. Confess your sins. Be the real you. Let your small group into your life, and I promise you that you will never regret it. We can keep feeling this need to hide our struggles, or we can accept the reality that we're all broken. And if we do this, we will see freedom. Freedom from our sins. Freedom from the weight of performance and perfection. Freedom to become the family God has called us to be. Family is real with each other. It is time for us to start being the family that God has designed us to be. Would you all stand with me? I'm going to give us two ways to respond tonight. If you guys would all close your eyes, bow your heads. If you're here tonight and you're honest, you've never really walked with Jesus, maybe you once did, but you've walked away, I want to give you an opportunity to do a physical act to show God that you want to step into the light and be his son or daughter. So if that's you and you want to receive the forgiveness of God and make Jesus your Lord, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you in the count of three to raise your hand, not as a symbol to me, but as a symbol to God that you're stepping into the light. So if that's you, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for the new brothers and sisters in your kingdom, God. Thank you for being such a good God that we don't have to be perfect. We just get to rely on you. Thank you that when God looks at us, he sees you, King Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. The second way I want to give us to respond is if you're here tonight and you follow Jesus, but you've been walking in the darkness. I've got two challenges for you. My first challenge and more important challenge is go tell someone after this. I'm not going to have you all come up here and confess your sins. That would be quite uncomfortable. But I challenge you to go when you're in small group this week. Please don't hide anything. It's not helping. My second challenge is with eyes open and everyone looking around because this is a family act, I want you to raise both hands to God. Right now, if you want to commit to walking in the light, not walking in darkness. Raise your hands to God. We're going to sing a song together, and as we do, let's worship Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for letting us into the light, God. Thank you for being such a good and pure God that we do not have to hide anything from you because you love us right now.